Every month, we offer exciting new webinars for our community. Topics include how to use retirement accounts to buy real estate overseas, how to get a second passport in Latin America, why you should sell your stock portfolio and move your money offshore, how to buy beachfront rental properties in Brazil for less than $100,000, or apartments in Paraguay for less than $60,000. If you want to join us for free for these presentations with live Q&A, insider secrets, and exclusive opportunities with my professional network of experts, then go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for free upcoming presentations. expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. We all dream of seeing the world, but the realities of living somewhere outside your place of birth can be daunting to say the least. Welcome to the Expat Money Show, helping you make the most out of your overseas career through conversations with successful expats on investing, entrepreneurship, self-improvement, and continual education, all while sharpening your financial acumen. Now, please welcome your host with over 20 years of overseas experience, Mikkel Thorup. Hey everyone, so before we get into today's episode, I just want to tell you about a great opportunity. You see, we've had a massive interest lately in learning a second language, and I do a lot of my language training with my very good friend, Ollie Richard. We've been friends for three or four years now, and he's been on my program, and I've been on his program, and he spoke at my conferences, and I've spoke at his conferences, and he really is a genius. His techniques for teaching languages are just out of this world. He actually makes it fun and enjoyable. He was one of the main drivers for me rekindling my interest in Spanish. And under his tutelage and his advice and using his programs, I went from really crummy Spanish to quite fluent in a really short amount of time. So if you are looking to learn a second language or maybe even a third language, what I want you to do is go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash language forward slash language, and it's going to redirect you to some of all these best courses out there in the world. And there's some special promotions going on, some special opportunities for subscribers of my podcast. So I hope you take us up on this offer and go and check it out. That's expatmoneyshow.com forward slash language to get the best resources in the world for learning a second language. Okay, let's get into today's episode. Enjoy. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Mikkel Thorpe, and this is the Expat Money Show. Today's guest is a fellow Canadian living and working in Costa Rica since 2017 and loving it. He has been selling online in various ways since 1998 when he made his very first website and launched a company selling online craft products. Today, he sells on Amazon and other online marketplaces and helps Amazon and e-commerce sellers design the lifestyle they want with his company selling from the beach. Please welcome to the show, Rob Cosman. Rob, how are you? Awesome, man. Thanks so much, Miguel, for having me. This is, I'm pumped. I'm excited. (laughs) I'm excited to have you here. (laughs) Well, so we kind of been chit-chatting a little bit before the episode started. And Rob is actually Canadian as well. So it was kind of fun to say hello to other Canadians. But Rob, I guess before we get going, why don't you take a minute and kind of walk us through your backstory? How did you get from Canada down to Costa Rica? You know, you were hinting to me some other places you've lived. I want to hear it all. Yeah, sure. So I'm originally from St. John, New Brunswick, which is the east coast of Canada, the little maritime provinces. So I grew up there, went to school in Nova Scotia. Yeah, that's when I kind of did my first website and I got the taste of entrepreneurship. But then after I graduated, I went and did my uh, CPA, my chartered accountancy designation. So I did that in Halifax, worked for KPMG. But then, you know, 
basically, like most people, I had a bunch of student debt and I had graduated and I got my CPA. So I uh, went offshore. I wanted to go somewhere else. And usually people from the East Coast tend to go to Bermuda. But Bermuda is kind of like subtropical. And I was like, hmm, subtropical and there's some payroll taxes. And then my dad was like, hey, what about Cayman? I hear Cayman's, you know, pretty sexy. I was like, Cayman Islands? That sounds cool. And so I checked it out, had an interview. And, you know, I went and I, I transferred with KPMG, moved down there. I did three years in Cayman and then met my wife, my now wife. She worked there too. She was actually from Winnipeg. She went down, met her, and uh, we moved to Toronto. After we did three years in Cayman, moved up to Toronto, lived in Toronto for about 10 years. And then in 2017, June 2017, we finally had engineered everything to you know, be able to work online, work all for ourselves, not rely on corporate jobs, and pulled the plug and left and moved to Costa Rica and have been here. Now, I guess we're on year five uh, with my two boys, um, Jackson and Chase, who are nine and seven. And we're not going anywhere right now. Like We're, we're pretty good. It's pretty nice it's hot and sunny a lot of the time uh, i know i don't miss the cold weather that's for sure yeah absolutely it's kind of funny though i have to say you're in caymans and then you left caymans to go to toronto that is kind of like the opposite of everybody else i've ever talked to you know they they want to you know leave cold wintry toronto and go down to the tropics i mean yeah. talk us through that a little bit why such a decision like that's a bit different sure so Cayman is like a small island. There's there's three little there's two other little islands, but Grand Cayman is the main one. But even still, it's only like an hour to drive basically from one end to another. So I went down and you know basically you either go for as an accountant or as a lawyer, or you work in the service industry, bartend, you know, tourism, that kind of thing. But it, it was fun. Don't get me wrong. I mean, we went down and it was like university, except everybody has money. So you've got all these new expats coming in from, you know, South Africa, Australia, the UK, Canada, not many Americans because the taxes didn't really make sense. But everybody all coming in and everybody needs new friends. They don't have those established ties. So it was really fun. It felt like a small town and everybody was always like auditioning for new friends. It was great. So, you know, you, it was a lot of fun, but the work is boring. You know, like we're, you audit, you're auditing um, investment companies and you don't see anybody maybe trade some emails. Like you sit in an office and just do an audit. And it wasn't really for me. I did more operational companies, which was cool. But, you know, and then I went and I, I worked for um, another company and it was still just kind of like paper shuffling, right? You know, like just shell companies and they transact some stuff and you know, like it's not very exciting. And I've still had that. I want to chase the CFO dream. You know, I, I want to go after the corporate job and move up the ladder. And, you know, I was still definitely in that. And my, my wife was a bit too, my wife now. So kind of all of a sudden, a friend of mine from university messaged me and he's like, hey, we've got a, a, a mobile phone company in the States. It's coming to Canada. We're looking for a CFO. You know, it's cool. It's hip. They were, you know, this was before like iTunes started and they were watching UFC on their phone and things like that. I'm like, this sounds really cool. You know, it's a good opportunity. Maybe get on the ground floor of a startup, that kind of thing. And at the same time, my wife, where she was working, they had opened an office back in Toronto. So it was one of those opportunities like, okay, maybe, you know, were we ready to leave? No, but maybe this was the opportunity to kind of, you know, get in, move your way up. You know, we we're still both trying to climb that corporate ladder, I guess. Okay. So you, you got back into Toronto, you started mm -hmm. climbing the corporate ladder and then something must have shifted. Something must have been like, you know what, this is not for me anymore. So what did that look like? Because I'm, I'm kind of projecting here, but I mean, totally. if we were down that path, then why Costa Rica? So it, it was one of these, like we're heading up 
and then it just started to head down you know like we first got there we're new to the city we're having a good time you know my, my company was doing all kinds of startups and parties and it was good it was just you know the two of us we didn't have any kids and that was fun but then the company was a startup and it ended up its U.S. parent went bankrupt and you know so that fizzled and then I went and I took another job for a bit and that was okay and then that fizzled and then i went into consumer packaged goods because i couldn't find a job so i was like oh okay so i, I went and i was working at mars like m&ms and snickers and you know all that so that was also cool as a cfo or no 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 i was just done demand planning so kind of projections and mm -hmm. you know so it was a bit of a hybrid it wasn't fully accounting so i did that and then i also did some controller work there but it's not that exciting yeah. you know and i was like okay so you know you're looking at your trajectory and you got to play all these okay you need to have a mentor and he has to be more senior and you've got to sit down and talk to him for an hour a month and tell him all your hopes and dreams and hopefully he solicits you in the politics so you can kind of move up the ladder and i'm just like this is terrible you know so that you know you start kind of getting jaded my wife is kind of getting the same thing and you know i was also commuting an hour you know each way just to get there the crazy thing was they have this thing if you work at mars they have what they call the the, the we called it PB. It was basically being on time. So if there's a clock and you had to swipe in, if you didn't swipe in by nine o'clock, you lost 10% of your pay that day. Yeah. It reminds me of working in the grocery store when I was like 15 years old. No, like, dude, I'm a senior manager and I have to swipe in. And if I miss it by, you know, one minute, then I lose 10% of my pay. You know, like stuff like that. And they're like, well, that goes back to the traditions of, you know, Mr. Mars and this and that. And I'm just like, yeah, well, I don't care. Like that, that sucks. You know, that's not really fun. So it's just like, you know, kind of chipping away at it. And then, and then we had our first son. And once we had Jackson, you know, we're both getting a little jaded with the company, you know, just corporate life. I ended up getting another job as a CFO of kind of a, a smaller cap cell phone company. So I was like, okay, you know, maybe, maybe this is it, you know, like now I'm going to be a CFO. It's publicly traded, you know, it's small, but somebody's kind of, you know, like, okay, good. But I'm still driving like an hour and she's, you know, commuting and now Jackson was born. And that's when we said, okay, you know what we need, this isn't long-term for us. What do we want to do? And we still miss Cayman. We miss that fun, you know, the warm weather, the, the small town feel like we weren't from Toronto. So when you show up to a big city like Toronto, everybody has their established groups of friends. So you're like, you know, it's not like you put out an ad like, hey, I'm auditioning for new friends. Anybody got them? And they're like, man, I got my people from high school, right? You know, so you end up just hanging out with the people you work with. So we didn't have that. And it's just, you know, everybody gets busy in a big city. You know, like we had some friends we haven't seen in a while. We're like, hey, yeah, let's get together. And like, you know, like how's Friday? Like, well, this month isn't good. This quarter isn't good. You know, maybe in three months we'll get together for dinner. And you're just like, what you know like it came and it was like hey man what are we doing tonight or you know like tomorrow night somebody's going here let's go okay you know like it was just it wasn't everybody just gets busy and I, you know we didn't like that so that's when we said okay we first started our, our accounting firm so we we're both accountants and we said okay let's just start doing some taxes on the side we started doing that and i started selling on amazon at the same time just kind of like okay can we build those up you know we kind of sat down and said long term what do we want to do we'd like to go somewhere else again this is for us the be all and end all wherever that be we hadn't decided yet but we needed to okay let's start building towards that you know like and I, and I remember when i started my cfo job you know and i was going through we were doing proposals and we have directors and you know i'm trying to work on an employment agreement and getting a new agreement because mine is crap and all these directors and the guys on the board all they did was have their own hands out for themselves and i was just like 
you know, that's where you sit back and I'm like, okay, nobody cares more about me than me. And none of these guys care about me. And they're just going to make sure that they get paid first. And I was like, no, that was just kind of like, no, I, I got to get out of this. I, we got to make this work. We need to move. This needs to end. So that's, that's how I went all the way up and then slowly started to come down and, you know, just. Yeah. Disillusioned after a certain amount of time. Wow. So, okay. So then let's fast forward a little bit. So you decide that this is not for you. How did you pick Costa Rica? Like, I mean, the world is a big place. Why Costa Rica? So funny enough, we actually, before we settled on there, we were looking for, when we got married, we decided to do a destination wedding. And um, after my startup kind of went fizzle, we went on vacation with a friend of mine and his wife, and we came down to Costa Rica. We come here for Easter because at Easter, they'll have direct flights from Cayman over. And we're like, oh, Costa Rica is awesome. This is great. Like, I've been to a few places in the Caribbean, but, you know, like I've been to Belize, Costa Rica. I was like, this is, this is nice. So then when we were doing our destination wedding, we were looking at all these locations. We looked at Costa Rica, but it was too expensive. And we picked, you know, we went through the whole thing. And then eventually the price dropped on Costa Rica. So we decided to do it. We're like, well, we've been here before. We liked it. So we got married here. And literally, I am living in the same gated community resort area that we got married in. Like I golf on the hole that we got married on that looks out over the ocean. Is it a timeshare? Did they get you on a timeshare? Yeah, exactly, right? No, like married and in a slot, you know, all in one big present. Trust me, they are not that organized enough to do that. (laughs) You and I would think about that, but no. So, yeah. So, what we did was, you know, we were evaluating, okay, where could we go? And what was was important to us, because we had two kids at this point now, was I want to be able to be a resident. Like when we were in Cayman, we couldn't be residents or you had to invest a ton of cash to do it. And it was just like you were on a work permit and you never knew the guy that you bumped into or mouthed off at the store. If he was uncle with the guy on the you know immigration board, like you hear stories like that. And you're like, OK, it's like $700,000 real estate investment or something like that in Cayman's for some type of a 10 year residency. And then you have to come back every year and you have to renew and then maybe and it's I've read about this stuff and worked with some clients on it it's not an ideal situation by any means right and it's expensive like it's super duper expensive so we're like okay that's not going to be for us i I don't think so and it's still small like as i said it's an hour drive and you know there's gorgeous beaches and great scuba diving but it's not a whole lot more you know there's no the, the highest the highest altitude on the island is the trash garbage you know, mountain, that's it. Like everything else is flat. So we started evaluating, okay, where could we actually live and become a resident? They're not going to kick us out. Decent healthcare, want a decent education. You know, like I don't speak Spanish and I barely speak English well, but you know, I wanted that opportunity for my kids to learn the second language. And, you know, to me, it was the sooner you could do it, the easier it would be. Mm-hmm. So that was important to us. And, you know, the relative safety, you know, and, you know, as far as like, could you buy a place? Could you invest? You know, is the government just going to go and, and seize it all or, you know, and how are expats treated and things like that? So as we just started kind of going through, Costa Rica checked a lot of those boxes and we we're also, you know, kind of familiar with it. So as we got a long list, started building the businesses up, we actually 
did kind of a exploration trip, I guess you would say, where my wife and I came down, we checked out the school, we looked at properties, you know, get a little, a little bit more committed. We actually bought a piece of land, you know, it's kind of like, not just, hey, let's talk about moving, but let's really get a little bit more committed to the idea. You know, everybody talks about their dreams and all oh, we're going to do that someday and this and that, you know, we're both doers. But we both, you know, still wanted to be a little bit more committed to, okay, this is the ultimate goal. We've invested a little bit into it. So now we're definitely committed as opposed to, you know, like, you know, a drunk Friday night and you're changing your goals and your life kind of thing. You know, no, no, this is it. This is the this is the the end game that we want to get to. So were you and your wife on the same page every like throughout the same time or was one of you a little bit farther ahead and the other one was kind of playing catch up? What did it look like the relationship for you guys moving overseas? <laughs> So it kind of changed. So I had got packaged out of my job. Like I saw an opportunity and either the CEO or the CFO is going to get fired. And I was like, okay, I'm starting to ramp up my accounting practice. I'm selling more online. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Make that me. I'll, I'll die. I'll take the sword. Don't worry. You know, it's sure enough. So I got packaged out. So then I had a little bit of a runway, but then I had to get really serious about making sure like, okay, now the side hustles need to become the main hustles. You know, we need to build that accounting business. I need to sell more stuff on Amazon. So we started ramping up, which was good. My wife still had her corporate job and we were saying, okay, you know, yeah, sometime when you get packaged out. So I think we were talking like, I want to say it was like 2024 was the target maybe to make the move or 2022, something like that was kind of our, our target that we had, this artificial, okay, we keep building it up and going. And then it was... 2016, like November, October, maybe it's October, 2016, you know, we we're still out. I wanted to go sooner. My, my wife's like, no, no, the 20, you know, 2022 or whatever. And I'm like, Hey, we can go sooner maybe. And she messaged me and she's like, I think I'm getting fired today. I'm like, what do you mean? Uh, she's like, well, I just saw that. So their HR people aren't normally in that office. And she goes, I just saw the HR lady in the hallway and she didn't even say hi to me. And normally they kind of like, you know, very friendly, chit-chatty, you know, kind of thing. I was like, now nah, you're crazy. Two hours later, she messaged me. She's like, come get me. I'm done. Got the package. So I'm like, okay. So I pick her up. She's like, okay, yeah, we're moving. We're going. We're, doing, we're going to Costa Rica. And I'm like, whoa, whoa okay. You're like, <laughs> it's still raw. Like, I, I, let's not, you know, like overreact. We, we're talking about it. We're planning it. She's like, no, no, let's do it. Like, this is it. I'm like, let's, let's just let a couple of days go. You know, you're a little mad. Let's let's just chill. So, you know, it went from I'm the pusher. I'm like, yeah, yeah, we're, we're going to go. I don't want to go that far out. I want it a little bit closer to suddenly once she got it, then she's like, yeah, no, let's do it. What's holding us back? Like, let's go now. So that was in November. And then we finished out, basically, we were going into our tax season. So we did all those, the clients for that tax season. And then in June, we left. And it was like, just a lot of things started to come together. Like, our, we had a truck that was on lease. So the lease was up in May. Boom. Okay, good. Get rid of that. And then the housing market was through the roof in Toronto. It still is now, but it was doing very well. So we're like, okay, we can sell it, no problem. We're in the middle of the tax season. I don't know if it was like maybe February, February, March. I keep an eye on everything. Like we lived in a townhouse, so they were all the same. So I keep an eye on, you know, who's going on auctions and bids and stuff like that and finding out. So I'd call the agent, you know, one, three or four doors down. It just sold, found out what it sold for. It's like, okay, good, good, good. Things are hot. Knock on the door. My wife answers it. This lady, she's like, hey, I have clients. We just missed out on the bidding war three doors down. You guys want to sell? I'm like, Come on in. <laughs> so that was on a on a uh, Wednesday. Literally She's, opportunity knock. Yeah, like exactly right. right? Front door. <laughs> yeah, and I knew what the market was and what you know had sold and everything. So she came in and I'm like, yeah, sure, you want to do it? I'm like, 
you know, bring them in. So that was on Wednesday. She brought her clients in Friday and Friday night, they made us an offer and we had a deal done. That's amazing. We actually had a, uh, so we had a garage, but then we also had another underground parking spot across the way. So they really didn't care about that. So we said, okay, fine, we'll keep that. So my wife, she just made up a sign, put it on the, the door entrances. There's three of them to the underground. Like anybody want a parking spot, I'm taking bids. And so she sold it for like $27,000 just, just on a, a part, you know, like, Hey, here, what do you want? You know? And like, she got like three people that emailed like, yeah, here's what I'll offer. And okay. Took that done. So we sold that and that, you know, it's just like just this frenzy and everything was just kind of lining up. So you're like, okay, you know what? Like I, I feel better about it. You know, like, was it perfect? No. I mean, we had kids. So most of our stuff was all worn out. So, you know, you're just like getting rid of it. Like, Oh, you're going to sell this bed. You're like, no way, man, I'm junking that. That's all ripped to crap. You know, the couch. No. Nah. So you know, we didn't have a whole lot to move. So it just kind of went really fast. Like it felt like a blur, but things just started to kind of line up and, you know, I mean, whether we were looking for them or what, but just, you know, put some things in motion. And you know, that's what I always say, even to clients now, I'm like, if you can work that side hustle as long as you can, and if you can, you know, your opportunity is to get a package, to get fired, to get a little extra one way, a little extra cash, and then make your move, right? That forces your hand. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that's going to be happening a lot right now with all these vaccine mandates. And I know that so many people are putting their foot down and saying no. I mean, I was reading one post the other day and they're saying, no, make your employer look you in the eye and fire you if you don't agree with these vaccines. Yeah, that might be people's exit plan now, you know, if you disagree yeah. with the politics or the mandates or whatever's going on, like, hey, take it. I mean, I don't know what it's like in America. I don't think you get as much. But in Canada, trust me, I've gone through a bunch. We fired a bunch of people and they all sue you and you go through all this stuff. Like you get, you know, a month for every year service or two or whatever you can negotiate, depending on your age. Like that might be the opportunity to mm -hmm. pull the shoot. So, OK, so your kids would have been how old then? Like five at the time? Yeah, so I think uh, I think Jackson was just turning six, maybe or five, and Chase was three. He was still in diapers, so you know we were just like, "Oh, that's going to be a pain." But then, just as we left, he got out of that, and we we're just like, "Oh, that was amazing!" You know, he got out of the diapers. He's like, "No, I'm done with it." So then the next hurdle was just for us. Once you know, our biggest stress was making sure that they can swim. You know, we had rented a house and it had a pool, so then that was our, our stress was okay. You know, once they can swim excuse me, then, you know, we don't have to worry as much. So. Yeah. It's kind of funny, little things like that, that you might not normally think of, which actually become really big things now when you move overseas, because actually it's super common to have a pool, like everywhere, like every single condo complex here has a pool downstairs. Some of them have a pool like right in your unit itself. I mean, that's not something you would normally see in Canada, but it does happen here. So certainly like I have young kids. I mean, we looked at that. We wanted to get a house when we first moved here and decided against it because of the pool issue. Cause we were afraid. I think my daughter was three years old when we moved to Panama, we were worried that we, she would, you know, somehow open the sliding door, go outside and decide she wanted to go for a swim. I mean, that's just not something I would have to deal with in Canada. I mean, with seven months of winter and stuff. You did the exact same thing. We had that debate. Do we take this house or not? And then we ended up putting like some additional locks on the sliding door up high so that he'd never be able to reach it. Because, you know, as a parent, suddenly you start thinking about those nightmares and, you know, like it's a legit concern. So as soon as we were there, the first thing we're just like, yes, private swim lessons. Yes, Miss Katie in the backyard. She's going to teach you guys how to swim. Like, mm -hmm. you know, we hit it hard and they, they got it pretty quick. But, you know, because, you know, we were 
teaching them so much, but yeah, I was, you know, because you go to a beach and you know, a bunch of restaurants here actually have pools at them. So my kids were ruined for a while. They're like, Oh, we only go want to go to a restaurant that has a pool, you know, but yeah, then you worry about that too. Right. No doubt. No doubt. Okay. So you move the, so you, I want to see if I get my time, timeline mm-hmm. straight. You go down, you get married there. Then you start looking around, you purchase a plot of land. Then all this stuff happens in Toronto later on and you decide to come down. Did you develop that land or you, you rented straight off the bat and developed later or the land is still sitting there? What does that piece look like? Sure. So I think we probably bought the land maybe in like 2015, I think. So we you know, gotten married. We didn't think about moving to Costa Rica. We we're just doing our thing in Toronto until, okay, you know, get a little bit more serious. Where else would we go? And then put that plan in place. And part of that was then we came down on the exploratory trip, check out the schools, you know, is this the area? Because this is the only area of Costa Rica we've kind of been to. Does that make sense? We bought the land. I think it was like $60,000 or something. So it wasn't a massive commitment, but it was still, you know, like it's a commitment. So we did that, had it. Okay. It was in a gated community that worked for us. We're like, okay, this, this is nice. You know, all the standalone houses. We started to, you know, even design things, but we, so we had that. So we moved down. When we moved, we said, okay, we're going to, you know, maybe build, maybe Marsha was pushing, my wife was pushing more, you know, like, okay, let's start designing it. And she was doing that. But at the same time, I was just a little cautious. I'm like, I don't know. I haven't, like, I feel like there's a lot more here. We haven't even looked down Flamingo. I mean, we, we really haven't explored much. I just don't want to pull the trigger on, you know, a large investment to build yet. And, you know, and I know that nobody has ever told me building in Costa Rica is easy. I don't think, you know, like, Nobody building is an easy period, but then you start doing it in, you know, a a foreign country. Sometimes it's even more difficult. So I was a little gun shy. So we said, okay, we rented a house in the community. It was literally like four doors down from our plot of land. So we said, great, we can live here, kind of get the feel of the community. Do we like it? You know, and if we do actually start to build, boom, we'll be like literally right down there and supervise it. You know, I know people that build when they're in other countries and that I'm like, no, no, no. I need to be there every day. Like going in, are you guys doing something stupid? Or are you doing it right? I mean, you just want to supervise it. So then we said, okay, I like the community, but there wasn't any kids there. You know, there was a couple of kids, but it was mostly retirees and, you know, our kids are still young and, you know, we were just, we weren't sold on it. And then the developer that we were going to use, he like, kind of got kicked out of Costa Rica, ran out of Costa Rica, you know, like not good, you know, no, had to dis- sound good at all. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. you know, like, whoa, dodged a bullet there, you yeah, know, and then yeah. we had some friends that were, you know, he did projects on and didn't turn out well. I think, you know, one of those things he was doing well. And then I think he kind of got overextended and whatnot. So like, okay, now we're even more cautious. So then we were just starting to look around and we kind of, you know, there was another gated community that was over here with a lot more kids in it. And that's where we got married in Reserva Conchal. So we always just kind of kept coming back to him. We're like, you know, it is really nice. It's a beach club, the golf course. And, you know, I can let the kids run around. I don't have to worry about it. You know, and a bunch of their buddies are here. And you're just like, ah. So then we ended up, you know, kind of chance talking to a friend of ours who's a real estate agent again on the beach. And she's like, yeah, I'll show you some stuff. And then one kind of one thing fell into another. She's like, yeah, here's one. You really like it. And the developer still owns it. And we're just like, whoa, okay, yeah. So then we ended up buying it, selling our land, never developed it. Mm-hmm. Have a look back. Did you end up making any money on the first piece of property because you held it for a little bit or yeah, a few bucks, like, you know, yeah. a couple grand, nothing big because they instituted some other capital, some other land transfer taxes and stuff. But we were just like, 
property sits for, you know, and people were saying like a year, two years to sell stuff. So we were just like, well, we sold it within, you know, a few months. We're like, Ooh, this is great. But now the market has gone super hot because there's like this buildup of people that just like want to get out of, you know, North America and get down here. So now it's through the roof. So if I probably had a, held it for a couple more years, I've done a lot better, but you know, I mean, yeah, but it held, it, it did its purpose. It was an anchor for you guys to show each other that it was, Costa Rica really meant something to you, that it was a strong connection and it wasn't just talk. Like you guys actually did something. Okay. You didn't make a million dollars on it, but who cares? I mean, it was that emotional attachment to the place that made things more real, that allowed you to go back and, you know, put these things in your place. So when the opportunity came, you knew what you were doing. It was real life and you made the decision. So, I mean, it sounds to me like it worked out well. Totally. No, no regrets. I mean, could have gone a lot worse, but it works out. And yeah, exactly to your point. It was the stake in the sand. It was a little bit of a commitment to, no, this is it. Not just Friday night. I hate my job. Let's leave. You know, let's get out of here. No, no, this is the goal. And it was a small goal and it was a small commitment, but you know, that's where we're going. Okay. We're just going to take a quick break. So if you guys haven't joined Expat Money Forum yet, then I don't know what I need to do to get you guys to go on this. The conversations in this forum are just unbelievable. The networking is fantastic. There's so much things being shared with the group that honestly, it's more than just me. It's more than just this podcast. It has grown to a life of its own. We have over 2,000 people in our private group discussing things like immigration, asset protection, travel, food, culture, history, everything about being an expat and going overseas. There's tons of work being done on Plan B residencies, on different passports. We're even talking about SIM cards, international SIM cards, and the best places to get your internet if you're a digital nomad and you're traveling around the world. There are so many things that are being shared by people who are actually in different countries, who are digital nomads, who are expats, who have gone offshore, and there's just so much there. So I'm really excited about it. I hope you can see that I'm really thrilled about this group because it's just more than I ever expected. And and a massive shout out to you if you are part of the group and you are contributing and helping other people who are looking to get where you are. You are an awesome person. I really, really appreciate it. So if you guys want to get involved, if you want to join the conversation, then go to expatmoneyforum.com or on Facebook directly, you can search for Expat Money Forum. You'll find us there. We should come up on the very first page. And yeah, join the group, join the conversation. Lots happening there. Okay, let's jump back into today's interview. And Costa Rica, you're, you've been here for, what, five years now. Mm-hmm. Your opinions, do you like it? Is it what you guys thought it was going to be? Does your wife like it? Do the kids like it? What's your opinion at this point? Yeah, I really like it. I, I you know, I like it. Is it perfect? No, I mean, it's, I don't speak Spanish. My, I know a little bit and I get frustrated, but, you know, my English isn't very good either. But, you know, I wish I could be better and I'd like to the people are very nice. You just have to set an expectation. Like our first year, we were doing a lot of residency stuff. My wife prepared most of it ahead of time. So we got it really quick, but you know, like you're going to do a government office, you know, like I'm I'm probably going to do this three times. I'm probably going to go to the wrong one because somebody tells me the wrong one. Then I'm going to show up and then that day it's going to be closed. And then I don't have an appointment or something else. So the good thing is we relied on some consultants and some lawyers to help us, you know, because like, no, no, I'll pay you 
you waste your time, you figure it out so that when I show up, it's more efficient. So once we kind of got passed through that, then we got our housing situation sorted, then it's, yeah, it's, it's good. Like it's relatively safe. Like, you know, I, we live in a big gated community. I call it like, it's a, it's a resort, you know, there's the Western hotel, there's the W hotel, there's the golf course. And it's really nice, but I don't have to worry about someone kicking in my door and, you know, stealing my stuff. That's for me, that was very important because I have children Mm -hmm. and, you know, I don't want to ever have them worry Dad, is someone going to kick in the door tonight? Yeah, so, no doubt. So that was very important to me. So, I mean, it's it's petty theft. I mean, that's what I hear about. You know, that's what friends happen. But no, I love it. It's good. We're close to the beach. Lots of amenities. You know, there's always new people coming. We have some friends that are, you know, been here for a while, which is nice. You know, there's downfalls of everything. But, you know, the, the kids really like it. You know, you we can go outside, do a lot of activities. You know, there's a multitude of things to do. It's just, you know, what what do you want to do and how much time you want to spend doing it? But no, I'm I'm pretty happy. Yeah, you know, like one of the downfalls is still that in the expat communities, some of it is transient. And you know, where we are, families have come in for a year, you know. So unfortunately, my my kids are so resilient, they're so cool. They're just like, Yeah, whatever, next kid up, you're my new friend. Like <laughs> whoever comes in, like, oh, new kids, or even you know, like tourist kids that are here for you know a week or whatever. I'm like, oh yeah, you're playing with those kids. What's his name? I don't know. What'd you guys do? Oh, we play tag, freeze tag, this, that. They just don't care, right? But you know, for for us, some of that, you know, like you do see people leaving, and that's tough. But yeah, I can't. I get you know, so any the pros local definitely friends, or is it all expat friends there? Is the community have any locals there or no? Yeah, there's there's definitely locals, and you've got that. It, it's pretty it's pretty good, but there is a large expat community here, and you know, so you gotta kind of gotta make that effort. Like, okay. You know, if you want to have friends with some of the locals, how do you meet them and interact? And, you know, we have some local friends, but of course they're the ones that are bilingual because my Spanish is terrible, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it is good, but you, you always still just tend to gravitate to people that, you know, have similar situations like Canadians, you know, you can still talk about Canadian stuff, like my sense of humor, or people that like American football or, you know, like you just, you know, as much as you, you want to get into it, I'm still, I still gravitate towards a lot of expats just because yeah. of, you know, where I come from and the nature of my work and business and, you know, lifestyle. Right. But my, my kids, they play with anybody. I'm like, Oh, who's your buddy at school? Call it. Oh yeah. Does call it speak any English. It's like, not really. Like, so you just talk Spanish to them. Yeah. But they won't talk it in front of me. You know, they're, they're really comfortable talking with everybody else, but then I'm like, okay, let's, let's do it. And they're like, no, no. Yeah. I understand that piece completely you know, trying to prompt a child to speak another language in front of you or here, go say something, go say something like never works. So you might as well not even try the kids will speak when they're ready and they'll speak, you know, in the appropriate, like I've tried to sometimes switch because I'm quite fluent in Spanish. I try to switch with my daughter and then speak to her in Spanish and she'll respond to me in English. Now we have a niñera, a nanny that takes care of our kids. And she owned the nanny only speaks Spanish and my daughter will speak Spanish with her all day long, full conversations. Cause I can, you know, overhear from the other room, them going back and forth and playing and stuff. But I think that the kids kind of get in a pattern of, you know, one parent, one language type of thing. And the switch is unlikely to happen maybe later on, but I mean, at this age, I don't think so. Right. At least you have that advantage where you're fluent in Spanish, so you can. But yeah, I've heard that too. You know, they're like, no, they only reply back in English. And so we try anybody here that is 
speaks Spanish, that's a native Spanish speaker, we tell them, no, you talk to our kids in Spanish. Mm-hmm. Like Absolutely. that's what you do. And we tell them like they want to order a drink or they want to order to get something at the restaurant or they want, you know, the golf clubs, whatever. No, no, you do it all in Spanish. Absolutely. Well, and a side note for everybody who's listening, if you guys go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash language, you'll find the programs that I use to go from absolute dog shit Spanish to fluent in about two years. Highly, highly, highly recommend. It's by my buddy Ollie, and he does an amazing job. And the guy speaks like eight languages. He's a machine. So expatmoneyshow.com forward slash language. Check out those courses. And Rob, you check out those courses too, because if we get you back on the show, I want to hear about your experiences of opening up and meeting all these new local friends and having tons and tons of conversations in Spanish. I I, I know, dude, I told you, I've been like binge listening to your podcast, listening to the, one of the guys that, yeah, speaks the eight languages. And I'm like, so depressed. I'm like, oh, I really got to get better at this. <laughs> this is making me feel bad. <laughs> so, okay. So the community that you're in, you said it has a golf course. It has the pool, a gated community. The schooling, is the schooling on premise? Is it outside of the community? Is it a local school? Is it an international school? What does it look like for the kids? Yeah. So we live in, it's called Reserva Conchal. And it's this big development that's owned by, I call it the beer company. This company called Fifco, Florida Ice and Co. Or so we own Imperial Beer and Heineken and Pepsi and stuff like that. So it's a big development. It's got a W Hotel. It's got a Westin and then condos and some houses and villas, you know, kind of spread around. So we live in the condos and villas, you know, around here. There's a golf course right on the beach. So there's that. Then literally within 20 minute drive, you've got uh, La Paz, which is international school. Korea is international journey which is a school my kids go to i think there's educarte so all private schools you know private international schools all accredited so there's lots of options in in here so when we first came down our kids went to korea which was very much plug and play school uniforms you know very north american boom did it and then they did two years there i think but now they're at journey which is about 20 minutes down the road very different (laughs) it's uh you know, we went from uniforms to no uniforms, you know, like I had preconceived notions when I first heard about it, you know, that's where the hippies go kind of thing. And I was like, okay, well, let's see. And what happened was when they switched to online and during COVID, the school we were at just fell apart, just mm-hmm. did not execute online very well. And then we had some friends saying, Hey, journeys, you know, doing what very well and they're actually accredited and they do everything online you know and i was like oh okay interesting so i just sent an email to uh, the principal on a saturday i'm like hey can i come check it out she will be back in two hours on a saturday when do you want to come i was like this lady this lady's interested okay cool went and like great monday morning so we went checked it out talked to her her philosophies what they did she like she had a school in the states i guess that she just sold off and was franchised and then kind of fell into opening a school here just amazing woman she's like either had or adopted like 50 kids in her life her and her husband they both teach there and i was like okay but you you teach stuff right and you're accredited and yes it's fully accredited i think it's in california and you know i'm like okay cool so let's 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 try it. Cause I know that this wasn't great. So maybe now, you know, during COVID and this is the time to do it. So we switched the kids, smaller class sizes and they love it. You know, it's same thing. Like the kids are just so plug and play resilient. They're just like, you know, okay. Yeah. Some of their buddies, you know, actually moved to the school too. So that was good, but they're just so up for meeting new people. But again, it's a, you know, I mean like 10 kids a class kind of thing, everything from toddler all the way up to um, you know, grade Canadian 12. public schools. I remember it was like 32 kids or something when I was, when I was young. 
Dude, and that that was another key point when we went for Jackson, my oldest, for his kindergarten class. And it was JK and SK. They had like the two years together and there was three teachers there because they all work uh, a third of a day or something weird. Nobody works like a full day. And I went in and I joked. I'm like, do you even know who my kid is? You know, they're like, oh, yeah, Jackson, you know, because we went to parent teacher. And I was just like, yeah, because there's literally 32 kids in the class and three different teachers. And I'm like, you guys really have no idea. You're all just working a fraction of a time. So, you know, that was important to us. We wanted, you know, a small class size and, you know, the bilingualism, you know, and that was one thing like the first school we're at really caters towards the expats that are coming in for a year. Mm -hmm. So it tends to be that the kids that come in, like, um, again, just what I've heard, the kids that are older suddenly coming in and then have to do Spanish, they're not going to learn it in a year. They're, you know, already in grade eight, 10. They're not, you know, really want to do that. So the school wasn't focused on that as much. And that was important for us because our kids were doing hardcore Spanish, like totally 50, 50. And we wanted to continue that. So, you know, that was important and I don't want them to lose it. So that's kind of, you know, like different, you know, like nothing's perfect. So it's just trying to figure out kind of what works for your kids and your family. And what about the price point? Because I know that sometimes Canadians, we get a little bit hung up because we're so used to everything being covered for us and quote unquote free. I mean, obviously it's not free when you end up paying 50% taxes for everything. Exactly. You know, but okay. So international school, what were the price points on something like that? Did it, was that a hurdle for you guys to get over to pay for that? Or did it fully make sense to you right off the bat? I just didn't care. I mean, you know, I spent a bunch of money on schooling and, you know, it was like, I think now maybe it's like $700 a, a child. The other school was maybe like a thousand dollars. It was a just month or... a month. Yeah. yeah. Okay. You know, like it is what it is. I'm just like, yeah, no, I, I got no problem with that. Spent a lot more money on a lot of stupider things. I think I can spend a few bucks on my child's, you know, education, as long as they're getting a good education. Mm-hmm. And, you know, also like my other thing is, and I found this, the first school, it's a for-profit. They kind of dance around it a lot, but it is a for-profit. But then all of a sudden there's fundraising and there's parent-teacher. And then there's, we need to raise money for pencil sharpeners for the Spanish department. And there's not enough balls at lunch. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Charge me an extra hundred bucks and, and be the end of it. I'm not fundraising. You know, like, if, is this what we need, an extra 25 bucks for everybody to get pencil sharpeners? Like, just do it, right? Whereas Journey now is crazy. They're like, okay, here's your bucket of school supplies for everything the kid needs. And when it runs down, someone will deliver, you know, like new supplies. As opposed to like, you know, they're like, oh, get 12 glue sticks. I'm like, how 12 glue sticks? I'm buying a glue stick for everyone in the class, you know, and it really, I didn't understand it. We were buying the markers and then we took it in and they're like, oh yeah, don't label those things. I'm like, why not? And they're like, oh, no, that's for the whole class. And I'm like, oh, so we, every parent is going to go out and buy 12 glue sticks if we're going to furnish the whole class. You know, like little things like that. You're just like, okay, come on, guys, charge me an extra 50 bucks and don't shake me down for glue sticks. Fundraisers for private school. Excellent. Oh, yeah. That, see, and not saying it's private, but they tell you like, well, you know, we don't take out any money. I'm like, no, no, you guys all own businesses and the transfer pricing. I know how it works. I know how you get your money out of it. You rent from your own holding company and things like that. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's 
Very interesting. Some of the insights about the schools there. I'm always very, very interested in education. We're actually creating our own online high school because exactly what you described with expat families coming in for one year, two years, something like that, and then moving on. We're going to try to solve a lot of those problems with creating our own online junior high and high school and even a middle school. So it's kind of interesting to hear, you know, your take on what works and what doesn't work and how the pricing and everything happens. But definitely there'll be a lot more information about that on the show when we get the new website coming out, which should be very, very soon. Make sure that you guys subscribe to the newsletter at expatmoneyshow.com and you'll be able to be the first ones to hear about that. Okay. So on the same point, Rob, about, you know, tax dollars in Canada going to pay for education and things like that. Talk to me about what the taxes look like in Costa Rica for you, especially considering you have a background as a CPA, you probably know and understand a lot more about the way the territorial tax system does than most people who are out there. Dude, I don't. No idea? <laughs> yes, I, I do. I, like, it, it's funny though, like, cause we came down and still, we sat down with like two or three different accountants and lawyers and you go through and you start playing all these scenarios because like, okay, you, if you, and, and the rules have changed, but it's like, well, if you make your money online and it's not made domestically, then it's not taxed here. But then if you do services, but if you're selling goods and everybody just had these shades of gray. And as, as you know, like every tax jurisdiction is just so like everybody wants something from you for the most part, but it's all these shades of gray and where you work and, so for us, it was, you know, we're non-residents uh, of Canada now because in Canada, you're taxed your worldwide income until you, unless you become a non-resident. Um, so we're non-residents, but we still have corporations, you know, in Canada that do stuff and pay taxes. And then we've got, you know, corporations here, but it's definitely more advantageous to be here than paying, you know, 50% taxes in Canada. That's for sure. But, you know, the, the biggest challenge for me is always still just moving the money. You know, because I sell a lot on Amazon, so I have credit cards and, you know, like just moving money around. And then every once in a while, you know, somebody's like, well, where's the rest of this money coming from? Can you show us the paper trail? Can you do that? You know, that's the the difficulty, you know, that I always found was, you know, getting the cash places, right? But as far as, you know, the actual, there's a, you can, now they've actually had a new rule and i think you i'm sure you're probably aware of it where you can come down as a digital nomad you're not going to be taxed on anything come down for a year um, you won't pay any domestic tax you know like it's great that was when we came down our path to residency was for they called it a rentista where basically you just had to show that you had twenty five hundred dollars a month in income so people could do that they could also do it as a pensionado which is you know if you had pension income then you just had to show that and you didn't have to pay the taxes here and as long as you could show that you had that money and then you could have the residency but there's still a lot of people that just come down and file from their home country and you know they just come down short term they do 90-day visa runs you just walk across nicaragua and walk back in and get stamped yeah, for another COVID 90 days hit and they closed all the borders yeah 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 that created a lot of panic and some people but meanwhile we were sitting pretty because another reason why we selected here was you know we wanted to have that residency and didn't want to have to do the border runs like you know i did it once and it sucked and I don't want to be taking kids across the border. Like you're leaving the country with nothing because, you know, the whole thing is you just walk out and walk back in. But what if, you know, and I get 
two kids. I don't want to, what if, you know, the customs officer is having a bad day and doesn't like the color of my shirt or, you know, whatever. I just didn't want to do that. So the first, the couple of times we still had to do them, we flew, you know, we flew to Houston and we flew, you know, like made a vacation out of it, but, you know, still a lot of people do the border walk. So, so I don't know if that really answers your question. I'm still like, it's, you know, like it, each person's situation is different as far as the taxes, you know, here, it, one thing that I did find weird, if you operate a business here, so people would come down and you could set up a business, you know, as an expat, but you could work on it administratively, but you couldn't be like the employee in the shop. So that was a bit of a gray area. Some people set up a corporation and then teach tennis, you know, is that a gray area? Yeah, it sounds like it, but everything they instituted what they call like electronic facturas, where you have to send electronic invoices of everything that you sell and then claim everything that you spend, you know, as expenses. And it all goes through a central government, you know, uh, depository, you know, to figure out, okay, how much tax you should owe and how much revenue came in and how much your expenses. And, you know, that really kind of, because that's, that's different in Canada, you just do your records and then they audit you and go through it. But this was actually, everything was going through a central government. So that kind of surprised me a bit, but I don't know if it was, I wouldn't want to try to operate a business here. I say to the guys that do, I'm like, you know, the guys that run some restaurants here and I'm like, it's difficult, you know, it's a lot of paperwork and municipality and things are inefficient. And I have a lot of clients who come to me and, you know, they're thinking about Costa Rica. They're thinking about Panama. We talk through some of the tax obligations. Okay. Yes. They're both territorial tax systems, but one is quite gray and the other is black and white. I mean, Panama is very straightforward. You can see the laws, you can cite the laws on exactly how it works. It's been tested. We've gone through the lawyers with it and it's really nice and clean. For me, that makes perfect sense. I mean, I don't want to be in any type of gray zone or coming back to me years from now, you know, saying, oh, you owe, you know, this much in taxes. I mean, no, thank you. (laughs) I want to know exactly what I'm doing and exactly how it's supposed to work. So that's interesting to hear some of your experiences and what has happened with some of the other expats that are there. Yeah, it's, you know, like I, I agree. Like, and that's what I'm an accountant. So I'm like, yeah, black and white. I know there's shades of gray and, you know, interpreting taxes and different codes, but yeah, that's the thing here. You know, you talk to like three or four different people and, you know, all experts, all big firms and, you know, not just like, you know, the guy at the corner, but, you know, people are supposed to, and you're just like more confused than anything. Well, and so then the visa is also very interesting. Because usually a lot of the people will come in under a real estate investment. So they'll make a purchase of, say, $200,000 real estate investment that can get their visa through that way. The other big one that I've read about or actually have some friends that have done is putting $60,000 into a Costa Rica bank account. And then from that drawing uh, basically a salary, they block off the $60,000 and then $2,500 a month for three years. And it goes, you know, that's kind of like the pension, I mean, kind of type of scheme. From my understanding as well, what ends up happening is technically by the law, you can do it with any bank in the world. It doesn't have to be a Costa Rican bank. But what in actual fact, no other bank in the world is going to do this because it's just such a weird thing. Like if you went to, if you went to, you know, your local bank and you said, okay, I'm going to give you $60,000. I want you to block it off. And then I want you to pay me a check of two and a half thousand dollars every month. And I need a contract for that. I mean, the other banks will look at you sideways. Like they're not going to do this, you know, write in an entire contract for $60,000. But the Costa Rican banks are completely 
comfortable with this. So it's very, very standard. And I have guys who are, you know, 20 something have put away a little bit of money and got their permanent residency. And from my understanding as well, once you make the application for permanent residency, you can actually stay in the country because you get a bridging visa. So you don't have to keep doing these visa runs in and out of the country, which I've done in other countries before and are very stressful. And I mean, I've never had to do it with kids. Luckily, everywhere that I've lived since I've had kids, I have a permanent residency to be there. But when I was, you know, 15, 20 years ago, I did do some visa runs and they suck. I mean, they just suck. Oh, yeah. You don't sleep the night before. You're a little nervous. You just because, you know, I know everybody's done it, but you have one or two people that, you know, have a bad story and you're just uh, that little bit of nervousness. Uh uh-uh. uh. Nope. Well, and I think that sometimes immigration will make a horror story out of someone because you're not supposed to be doing this. You're not supposed to be gaming the system like this. So if they can just put a little bit of scared out there into the industry or into the marketplace, then everybody kind of knows, all right, you have to be really careful about this and you might get turned away. Or like I said before, look at what happened with COVID. I literally had friends who'd been living in Panama for 10 years, never made the effort to go out there and get their friendly nations visa because they were traveling so much. They were going back and forth from the country. Then COVID hit, closed the airport to all non-residents and non-citizens, and their house sat empty for like months and months and months. Imagine if you had a pipe break or something like that and you can't get back into the country. You don't have any, no one has a spare set of keys. And it's like, you just don't know what's happening to your place. And now you're staying at a hotel or you have to rent some short-term place somewhere else. Like do it the proper way, get your residency, figure this stuff out. Don't just uh, be a cowboy and just hope that everything is going to be okay. I mean, be a little bit more strategic about this stuff. Totally. And even when I did like the one time I went across, I was like a couple days late on my 90 days. So I'm nervous about that because by the time I scheduled it and I didn't know where I was going. So I, I found a couple ladies that were there and they looked like they knew where they were going. So I, I went up to them right away. I'm like, you've done this before, right? They're like, yeah, yeah. Like all the time. I'm like, great. I'm following you wherever you go. Because, you know, like you don't even know exactly where to go. And they're like, oh, you got to go to this little shop down here and pay your $2 exit tax or something. So literally, so I'm standing in line in Nicaragua and there's a group of people in front of me and they take their passports to the side. And then there's a little old lady that comes up and cuts in front of me. And I'm like, yeah, go. Who cares? You know, like, sure, little old lady. Like, I could tell you, like, it's my turn. So she goes. And then another, then there's this woman behind me and she's like, yeah, you need to get up there. You know, and letting everybody cut in line. I'm like, okay. And then there's a woman, she had a child. She came back to the customs desk, asked a few more things, you know, obviously had some issues, left. Then she, you know, they grabbed the people that were in front of me. They brought their passports back. This woman behind me is like, yeah, this guy needs to get up there. And she pushed me. (laughs) And I'm like, you from behind. Gentle one. I was like, push my backpack. I'm like, lady, please stop. (laughs) And then, you know, then these people, they dealt with them. And then this other lady came back again, like all people that were ahead of me just had issues and, you know, and that happened again. And then she's like, no, yeah, you need to get up there. And she pushed me harder. And I actually, you know, had to take a step. So I did the uh, calm turn around in a very low voice and told her she ever touches me again. I wasn't very nice about it, but I was very calm and straight eyed at her. And she, her eyes just kind of took back like, so we went through, finished my thing. She get, she was on the bus with me because we did a bus tour down. She gets on, she comes up. She's like, I'm sorry. She goes, I, I thought about it. I thought what I did. You know, I thought what my son would say. Like, you know, mom, what are you doing? Blah, blah, blah. And I told her, I said, okay, I, I 
respect that you apologize, but I said, lady, we are in a foreign country doing something kind of gray, these visa borders, and you are in the middle of here pushing me and getting angry about people cutting. You need to chill out. Like, you know, <laughs> I, I, like again, add to my panic, right? Yeah, yeah. Very nice. Any nationality you wanna you wanna disclose who was she? Shame. Uh, name and shame. I, I think she was German. Oh wow. <laughs> Yeah, because she started cursing in, in German, I think, a bit, you know, like, again, why I'm like, lady, just calm down. <laughs> you know, like, you're standing in the customs of Nicaragua. It's a stressful situation for everybody, you know, going through something like that. I mean, it's it's so different than, you know, Margarita Madness going down to Mexico, you know, crossing the border, you know, that's so different, you know, going on vacation opposed to hey, if uh, they don't let me back in, I don't get to go home and I've got clients waiting and my kids got to get to school tomorrow and all of this stuff, you know, that you actually have to put on pause. And it's like, you start thinking through all those things. So I understand that it can be a very stressful situation. The, the answer is educate yourself on the visa processes in the country, work with a local professional, work with the lawyer or the immigration specialist, go through it so you don't have to go through this kind of stuff. Because you do hear horror stories all the time, all around the world, different countries. And it's like, just do it the right way, guys. Makes things oh. much easier. <laughs> For the sake of spending a few thousand dollars to get consultants to help you who've done it a lot. And even then, the things change. So oh, yes. it might have worked you know, last month or whatever, but they can figure it out because guess what? They do a lot of them. Mm-hmm. I way rather... You know, I get somewhere and there's an issue. Guess what? I pull out my phone. I open it. Yep. Here's my lawyer. Here's my consultant. You talk to them. And then, you know, like, okay, great. This is what I pay you for to be on speed dial. 100% worth it. No way. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that lots of times people think that they can just watch a couple of YouTube videos or read a blog article and they're going to be able to do this stuff. And I'm like, God, like. I do this for a living. I mean, this is what I do is help people with immigration issues. And when I go to a new country, I work with local representation. I worked with local representation in Brazil, got halfway through it and still couldn't get through the entire process, even working with locals. If I didn't have them, I wouldn't have even gotten halfway. I would have gotten nowhere. I mean, and like I said, I do this for a living. I really understand this stuff and I still get help with it. So you know, that's just a lesson for everybody listening to work with someone who knows what they're doing, work with local representation or a service provider who at least can put you in touch with the lawyer who's on the ground. Like I know enough about like a thousand different programs that are out there. But then when it comes to the finer details, I have my lawyer who works there and then I liaise with the lawyer on my client's behalf or we do group types of calls and go through that. But yeah reading a blog article or watching a YouTube video and doing something serious like this. It just makes me scratch my head. Okay. So I want to come back to your experiences in Costa Rica. So you left your big corporate jobs. You moved down there. You found a place to live, got the kids in school. Talk to me about your business itself because you are not a retiree. You are not independently wealthy, 100 millionaire, billionaire, and just living off of your investments. You work for a living like I do like most people do. So talk to me about your business, how that looks living in a foreign country and what has it been like as a transition, I suppose, from going to a nine to five office to now, I assume, a home office. Yeah. So it was, you know, it was a home office for a while as I started to transition from my corporate job and, you know, like I, we would do tax returns at the dinner table, you know, at night or I'm packing boxes for Amazon in my garage. 
that's you know the kind of the two business the two main businesses that I've done. So then it's just making the move down here. Over the years, we took you know when we first started our accounting business, we were putting up posters on you know telephone poles like ninety nine dollar personal tax returns. Like I just got to eat, right? I'm trying to get clients. I don't know what I'm into. Just whoever you know, like hey, I saw this ad. Perfect. I'll do your taxes. But then I was also selling on Amazon, and then some Facebook groups started to come up with you know people talking about selling and. And then one person was like, oh, I need an accountant. I'm an Amazon seller. You understand Amazon sellers because you sell. Yes, yes, I do. Okay. And then that became our niche. And then we really just niched down on Canadian e-commerce, Amazon sellers, and all across the country because they wanted someone who understands Amazon. I mean, you know, an accountant can file a tax return, but I'm like, I can tell you what invoices to get, how to pull the sales reports, how to, you know, like, plus I'm also telling you about what's going on and selling and issues and, you know, insurance requirements for Amazon, whatever. That's what I do. So they were already all across the country. They're all tech savvy. They're all like internet, email. I've got people that, you know, English isn't their first language. So they want to communicate on emails. That was probably the ideal client base to have to make that transition because they're all about just trading emails and doing everything online and all across Canada as it was. So that worked out well. And then when, you know, I'm like, yeah, I'm moving to Costa Rica. That's also the aspirational goals that a lot of them do have. So if anything, that was even cooler. They're like, yeah, man, my accountant's doing it. You know, that's, that's awesome. Um, but then the other business, you know, Amazon, where I would buy stuff and pack it and ship it back in, you know, I had slowly started to phase myself out. Like when I first started, I'm buying, like I, I do a lot of toys and shoes and stuff like that. And I just flip them. They call flipping. So I just buy it from a website. I buy it from Walmart, you know, this Lego set and I sell it on Amazon for a profit. So then I started to, what I had was my cleaner. She used to clean our house once a week, I think. She started to pack some products for me and she babysat then and packed products and cleaned our house and transitioned until eventually, you know, she doesn't work for me full-time, but almost full-time. She handles all my stuff in Canada. So I buy stuff, have it sent to her house. She works out of her basement, you know, pretty much full-time for me, does a couple other little things, but you know, that's how I transitioned to, okay, I can't do anymore. So now I'm just, I do the buying online and I do some coaching and video tutorials and, and that kind of thing. But she handles everything. Then I've also got a couple of what they call prep centers. So there's businesses that will actually receive your products and send them into Amazon. So I've got two of those in the States and one in Canada I use on top of that lady. And yeah, I just, you know, it forced me to get a little bit more systemized, get, you know, the prep centers in order, get, you know, my documentation a little more cleaner and, you know, like Google spreadsheets and things like that, because I, I wouldn't be able to see anything. I wouldn't be able to, you know, put my hands in even, you know, my helper. She has, she'll have an issue with her computer and she's not super tech savvy, but enough, you know, I can use team viewer and I can take control of her computer and, you know, try to figure out some things like, oh, this stopped working or the labels start printing. And you're just like, well, guess what? I'm not there. So if you can't solve it, then, you know, we have to figure out how to solve it together. And, you know, so it's just kind of trying to, as we were going, remove anything that requires my physical presence, figure out, okay, how do I do that without us being here? getting more organized, you know, whether it's sharing files, just working online, setting up, you know, calls, because I do all my calls on Zoom. You know, I've got online booking for clients or paid calls. I only do those on Tuesdays and Thursdays so that I can still get work done because, you know, like they do cut up your day. So just getting a little more systematized to, you know, like a schedule. And also we were now 
making enough money that I didn't need to be trying to do calls on Saturdays and calls at night. And, you know, cause when you first start, you're like, dude, I, I just need to make some money. Sure. You want to, you want to have a call at nine at night? Sure. Okay. I'll do it. You're willing to sacrifice it. But then after a while you're like, no, this is when I take calls, you know, they're from nine until two because I pick my kids up from school. I do 12 till 4.30 or 12 till 4. That's kind of my <laughs> my window that I'll take phone calls. Right. But do you drop your kids off at school or do you have them on, like, you know, there, there's certain things you probably organized your life schedule around that are important to you now, right? Yeah, absolutely. But that's, I, that's not what I'm saying. Like, I don't like to start my workday before, you know, noon. I mean, I'll do stuff in the morning for myself or I'll do my education or I'll do my exercise and things like that. But I mean, I'm not taking phone calls usually before 12 o'clock. And, you know, it's so nice when you actually get to a point in your business where things are systematized, where it's like, you don't have to have your phone calls all over the place. I know people who are due like one day a week or two days a week, and they just ram them packed with all of their phone calls. That's amazing. But I have been in the exact same situation as you. And it's like, it's Saturday at 7 p.m. And I'm taking a phone call because I got to hustle. And that's what it requires. I mean, the client that's what they have available. And, you know, do I want the business or do I not want the business? But at a certain point, when you get those systems in place, you can be a little bit more purposeful about these things. So I think you're right. Yeah. And you're, you're also, you know, depending on your type of business, you're going to evolve. You know, at first, like I was taking anybody I can. Now I get more picky and I've also raised my prices too. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's like, okay, well, I'm still trading t- some time for money because I am an accountant and, you know, people want to hire me. They don't want an assistant or anything. I don't have a big team because that's, I don't want to do that. I don't want to manage a bunch of employees and stuff. So, you know, okay, well, how do I do that? Well, I, I charge more, have less clients, but guess what? The ones that tend to pay more are less of a pain in the butt. Or if I can tell right away, you know, I'm getting better at this. I can figure out, you know, you're probably not going to be here next year because you think you know it all and you're telling me how it all works. Yeah, no, I know more about this than you do. And this probably isn't going to be a good fit. But, you know, when you first start out, you're just like, I know it. I've seen it. I took clients that I'm like, I just need the money. I need to get this flowing. This is probably not a good fit. It'll probably backfire on me, but who cares? I'll do it because, you know, you just, you got to get that ball rolling, get that momentum. Sell cheap stuff, get cheap clients. I mean, that's what it is, as sad as it is. I mean, I've sold $20 ebooks online and I've sent, sold $10,000 consulting packages. It's less work to work with the clients on $10,000 coaching packages than it is, you know, back and forth. Someone didn't get their PDF or something like that. And, you know, I've had the nastiest emails because. You know, they didn't get their product exactly on time or, you know, it came in late or something. It's like, oh my God, I don't want to deal with this stuff anymore. Yeah. For me, working with good people who respect the information, who actually listen to what you say and hire a professional, that's definitely the way to go. Absolutely. Yeah. And they have more vested interest. You know, you spend $10 on a PDF, maybe you open it, maybe you don't. I know how I do it. Yeah. But if I spend 2,500, five grand on something, I'm focused. I'm putting dedicated time away to do it and I'm going to learn it's going to work. Like I have a masterclass, 2,500 bucks, but I'm like pulling, you know, like, hey, what else can I give you? Here's what you need. Go do this. Go buy this right now. You will make money, you know? And sometimes they're like, yeah, I haven't looked lately this. And I'm like, no, no, I'm trying, you know, like, do it you know even still i want you to succeed but i'd much rather spend time with that you know two three thousand dollar person than you know as you said the guy for the ten dollar pdf because it went to a spam promotions folder and that is usually what happens as well it's like did you check your junk folder oh there it is it's like and you're gonna 
rage at me. Like, I mean, go complain to Google and Gmail or your Hotmail account from, you know, 1997 or something. Oh, yeah. But even on, you know, like my thank you pages, because I have some lower ticket items on the thank you page, I put a copy and paste like here, look here on Google and promotion spam. Make sure it's not here. The email will look like this. You will get it. Trust me, you know. Yeah. That's what I'm going to put in. If I do do lower price products, that's definitely what I'm going to be putting into place for sure. So, okay. So the main business that you do is still the accounting work for Amazon sellers or the or you're coaching people now on Amazon? Because we've talked about two different businesses here. Yeah. So so I sell on Amazon. So I'm, I'm, I still buy toys and shoes and stuff like that, you know, like weekly and I'm continuing to sell, but I have the accounting business, which is, you know, what we still do a lot of, but this year we really started doing more higher end coaching because I would see a lot of people coming in and particularly one thing that, so a lot of people come in and there's a lot of videos on YouTube about private labeling. They call it, where basically you go to Alibaba and you buy this piece of junk and you put your own brand on it and you try to sell it. Right. And I'm seeing people come in and they're losing their shirts. You know, they buy a course and, you know, they've got 10, 15, 20 K in, and it's a, a salt and pepper grinder. That's terrible. You know, and it's just, and they lose their money. And I'm like, no online arbitrage, what I do makes money. And the clients that I see that continue to grow year over year. So, you know, at the start of COVID, I started going through and filming videos, how-to tutorials to build up this ultimate course that would say, okay, this is my signature course because, you know, I, I wanted to give people an option because I know it will work. So that's kind of how I went down and I've started to do more of that. So it's really seasonal. Like we'll still do taxes and that tends to be very seasonal. You know, I've spread people out a little bit more. So there's that, which is a big chunk. The Amazon business is kind of always going selling, but the coaching is definitely ramping up now. But again, people got to find me, you know, like... But it's interesting because, I mean, you're coaching people how to do something that you've actually done in your real life. It's not a textbook. It's not theory. It's not, it's, I mean, you did it. You transitioned. You've lived around the world. You moved to your family. This has supported you. Now you're showing other people how to do things that you did. To, and it's like, if you do what you've done, they'll get the same results. I mean, sometimes people want to think that it's like, magic fairy dust or luck or, you know, hopeful, wishful thinking. It's like, no, I mean, there's formulas for these things. And if you do it, and if you follow the instructions, you will get the same results. And this goes back to our early point about working with professionals. I mean, work with someone who actually knows what they're doing. So I think what you're doing is excellent and very, very important in the marketplace. Yeah. And I know what works because when I first started, I didn't have courses available or Facebook groups or whatnot. You know, like I have a Facebook group now and I share my information, but I, you know, teach people and I know it works. Like I've done it and it doesn't require like, I'm not, I, I'm not going to teach you how to run an accounting firm. Like that takes some skill. And I went to school for a lot of it, but like I can teach you how to find stuff to on sale and flip it on Amazon and, you know, with some tools and some know-how and, you know, build up your confidence and show you how to do it. You know, check the boxes, follow this process. It works and it's scalable. You can start this from your kitchen table, you know, for like only a couple hundred bucks. Like you don't need to invest $10,000 on your own product to bring it over. Just flip some things from Walmart to Amazon. It's real simple. But, you know, like, and that's what, that's what gets me excited. Like even just talking to you about it, I get excited when I, cause I know it'll work and how it's changed people's lives and what they could do. Cause I see it even in my clients, you know, that I do accounting for, you know, like one girl, she's like worked a crappy administrative job for years. And, you know, she's like, Rob, can I quit my job now? And I'm like, 
Absolutely. Of course you can. You got, you know, a ton of cash in here, a ton of inventory. You made all kinds of money. You've rolled the profits over for three years. Have at it. You know, like it's, it's, it's exciting to see the success and see the wins, you know, but. Well, and then when you add this aspect to expat life and you realize how much more affordable living overseas can be than living in North America. And it's like, if you're making a few grand a month, like you don't have to be making $50,000 a month, $100,000 a month. I mean, just a few grand. You can actually move down to Central America, Latin America, have an amazing life, reconnect with your family, learn a new language, strengthen the bonds, spend more time with your spouse. And you know, having an online business gives you this type of opportunity. So I'm always encouraging people to take the step to learn these types of things. I mean, it takes a little bit of work. You got to finagle it a little bit. You're probably going to have to learn some secondary and tertiary skills that you probably didn't think about in the very first place, but start putting the time in now because those days of, you know, have one job, work at it for the next 40 years, then pull out your pension and retire. I mean, those are gone. Like they are gone, 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 and they are never coming back. I mean, the riskiest thing that you can do right now is have one job and have all of your money from one source. Okay, if you have some type of an online business, yes, it can be one business, but you have thousands of clients or hundreds of clients and money coming in. If you're selling products, you can sell it across different marketplaces. And so many different people out there have an opportunity to purchase these types of things. And if you're just making a couple of thousand dollars a month, you can actually start your expat journey now, not in 10 years from now, like you said earlier, you know, in 2015, 2016, thinking about moving overseas in 2024, and you ended up doing it in six months or a year or whatever it was. You had that opportunity because you had put the time and energy and effort into building the online businesses and those second streams of income at the very beginning. So good for you, Rob. I think what you're doing, as I said, is super, super important. Yeah, thanks, man. Like, it's there. It's, you know, people, it doesn't require big efforts to start the ball rolling, as you said. You know, like, like I'm talking about just buying some things on Amazon. You don't need your own customers. Amazon has them. You know, you don't have to even talk to people. You know, oh, I'm not good with people. or I don't want to talk to people on the computer. You don't need to. You know, you just basically go and buy items, have them delivered to your house, send them in and sell them for a profit. Wait till they sell, collect the money. You know, like, I don't care if you're 18 or you're 68. You know, like, this is something you can do with a little bit of internet skills. And it doesn't need to be tens of thousands of dollars. You know, a lot of people with a couple extra thousand dollar a month income makes a difference. Well, and then, I mean, how many people have gone out there and decided, okay, I want to change careers. Therefore, I have to go back to university, get <laughs> another full degree or do their master's or the MBA or something like that. And it's like, really? Like, that's really where your mind is going now? I mean, look at the opportunities that are out there. And as I said, learning from real people who have done real things. I mean, that is the secret formula. Enough with, you know, going to university and learning from someone who's never done it before in their real life, especially for entrepreneurship. Like, oh my God, it just, it makes me so sad when I see this over and over and over again. No, I, I agree. I, we have this debate with my kids, with my wife and the kids, you know, we're saving for the education and college university. And, you know, I also play devil's advocate sometimes. I'm like, do they really need to go? You know, and then so our, both of, we're both on the same that, our kids need world experience and they need, you know, like we're, we're 
we're giving them that, but they also need that independence. Like I know when I went to university, there's that independence that's there. Suddenly I got to do my own laundry all the time, you know, very simple things like that suddenly, you know, and I can do whatever I want, but that's how you learn and grow as a person. So, you know, coming up with different ways for them to do that. But I always argue, I'm like, I could give them some, you know, $10,000 worth of high-end courses right now. And that'll teach them way more than I've learned in my four years doing my business degree from the guy who used to work 10 years ago at Boeing. Like, what does that guy know? You know, these are entrepreneurs that are doing it. Plus, you know, they, my kids come in and see what I'm doing now. We look at toys and we look at things that I'm selling and, you know, like they're around it. So I, I think that they will. Capital. I mean, Imagine you took, okay, what's the price of an education in the United States right now? For top school, 100, 150K, something like that. Most families don't have that in cash where they're going to be able to pay for it. Some do, most don't. So the kid's going to end up having to take out student loan. Then they walk into a job where nobody's hiring at the moment anyways, because you can outsource a lot of the work. We can get people from India, from the Philippines, from Mexico, from many other countries in the world who will do it better and cheaper. And they're more hungry. They have a better work ethic. So what if you took a, you don't even have to take all of the money, take a percentage of the money, take 10%, take 15K and go, here you go. What are you passionate about? Start a job, start a business, build it up, blow it up. Doesn't matter. But that would be a real education. I mean, problem solving, all of these types of things, or about the personal responsibility and independence, take that 15K and be like, okay, here, go to Europe for four months, go backpacking, have a trip, take care of yourself, go out there and explore the world. I mean, that is an education in self-reliance and in confidence. I mean, there's so many other things that people can do besides traditional education. Okay, you want to be a doctor, you want to be a dentist, all right. Go to university for sure. I don't want a dentist who never went to school and just decided he wanted to play with other people's teeth, you know, in his spare time. All right. I'll grant you that one. But you want to be an entrepreneur? You want to build a business? I'd really argue that university is not the best place for you. There's better opportunities. Even now, like my my son Jackson was doing... um he was doing a class project and he's using Canva and he's designing his menu for his pizza parlor and his pricing and stuff like that. And I'm like, yes, this is good. One, you're learning how to use Canva, which will be important. And two, you know, you're like learning, you know, some design. And I'm like, yes, this is good. This is the kind of stuff I want you to learn. Like, okay, great. Well, and then a small note on Canva before we move on is that's a $12 and 95 cent piece of software. I use Canva They have a free version. I use a paid version. I do a lot of my own graphic design. And if I have a complicated project, then I'll hire someone else to do it. But then I have an eye for it and I can go, no, this is not good. This is not good. You know, this needs to be changed. I actually sometimes hire people to build templates for me in Canva so I can go in and modify them as I need, opposed to having to send an email to someone and explain to them in words what I want done. But I mean, basic, basic graphic design software, which actually you can create magic with, that, that is a real life skill, knowing how to do graphic design. And you don't have to do all of it, but having that type of skill. Like, it, it sounds like- To know these types of things, like this is really, really applicable for the future. Like university, what's being taught right now, not to continue to harp on it, well, <laughs> a little bit, because I, I'm really against this kind of stuff. But, you know, the skills that are being taught right now, in most instances, in 10, 15 years are not going to be there. I mean, the jobs are not going to exist. Things are being replaced. AI, blockchain, uh, robotics. I mean, the whole industry, the entire world is changing. So it's like, okay, let's get prepared in real life skills that'll actually make a difference in someone's life. 
Yeah. And that's what I tell my kids all the time. You need to learn to market and sell. You have to be able to sell yourself. You have to have enough confidence to talk to people. And those are the main skills. If you can do those, then you'll, you know, I mean, like, no, that's what I need you to focus on. And that's what you need to grow with because yeah, like, and not relying on one employer. Like I I've seen it, I've seen it in my accounting clients and, you know, people packaged out. They're like, yeah, I worked there for 12 years, you know, 15 years, 20 years, or guys that, you know, get fired like every couple of years, like oh, downsized again, got packaged out. You know, just like, nobody cares. They literally just like open up. Okay, great. The top who's, who's been here the longest haircut, right? The, the top 10%, they get fired this year. No one cares anymore. Yeah. Well, you, you know, know, I mean, your family is a prime example of that. You told the story about what happened to your wife. She went into work, completely normal day. All of a sudden, calls you in the afternoon. Rob, come and get me. It's like, wow. I mean, she worked, she worked there for 12 years. That's mad, eh? Like, <laughs> that doesn't happen if you own your own business. <laughs> like, no. I mean, no one gets to do that to you. You make the rules. And I mean, you don't have to build these companies with 100 employees. I mean, usually a solopreneur or maybe one or two VAs. I mean, is enough to have a nice income. You can live overseas. You can be an expat. Amazing. Rob, I love it. Amazing conversation today. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for sharing your experiences of living in Caymans, living in Costa Rica, everything that's happened with your family and your successes in building your business. If my listeners want to find out more about what you do, if they want to get a hold of you, where can we send them? Sellingforthebeach.com. That's the main hub. You can join my free Facebook group. I've got my courses there, my free training. If you're looking to just get started selling on Amazon, I got a free course from the main page there that look, just, you know, 40 bucks a month, open an Amazon account. That's your commitment. 40 bucks a month, open a pre a professional seller's account. And then at least you're a little bit committed, go buy some stuff. It could open up a whole world. Absolutely. And no one has an excuse at that type of price point. I mean, forego the bottle of wine or the pack of beer this weekend, you know, go invest in yourself, make that commitment, anchor yourself, a small commitment on these types of things will have massive rewards. Exactly what we've been talking about today. Rob, thank you so much for your time. And I will talk to you soon. Thanks, Bill. It's awesome, buddy. So I have an ask for you today. If you're enjoying this podcast, what I want you to do is go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. If you want to leave us a five-star review, even better. If not, tell us why. We are really doing our best to make this show the absolute best it can be to help as many people to go offshore and inspire entrepreneurs and investors and business owners to move their businesses abroad. There's so much to be had in this industry. I love doing this work and I love doing this podcast, but we want to get the message out there to more people. And the best way to do that is with reviews. So if you have ever gotten one good tip, one good thing from this show, if you enjoy listening to us every single Wednesday or whenever you listen during the week, then please take 30 seconds out of your day, go out there, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It actually makes a big difference for the show, for the visibility, and really helps get the word out there. So I appreciate that. Thank you so much, everyone, for your support. This episode may be over, but your journey to greatness continues by visiting our webpage and signing up for our newsletter. For convenient access to new episodes, show notes, and other crucial resources, visit expatmoneyshow.com. We look forward to you joining us on the next episode of the Expat Money Show. Safe travels. 
I have managed to secure exclusive rights to a block of villas in one of the hottest up-and-coming regions in my current home country, Panama. Join me Saturday, May 4th at 10 a.m. Central, 11 a.m. Eastern Time for our special presentation called Investors Workshop, capitalizing on the globally recognized resort brand coming to Panama. We will discuss how the tourism landscape in this region will change rapidly upon the public announcement of this project and how I have secured the rights for my clients to capitalize on this opportunity before anyone else. Thanks to my connections in the region, I have negotiated pricing that front runs everyone else. Think early, early bird pricing. From gourmet restaurants to vibrant clubs, poolside activities, and even live bands, this resort is going to pump some serious life into the region. But this isn't what excites me or what should excite you either. The exciting part is that these world-class amenities and top brand will attract tens of thousands of tourists. Tourists who will fork over top dollar to stay at our investment properties. Register free at expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for this free real estate workshop. See you on May 4th at 10 a.m. Central Time. That's 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinar.